Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. You're going into China now. He said, take your time to understand them, but be who you are. Don't try and become Chinese. And now that sounds very obvious, but he said, be proud of your culture and where you come from and keep that because people want to hear about that too. Hi, everyone. And you've just heard from this week's guest mentor, John Barrett. And John's a fellow Irishman who has had a fantastic career working in a number of different countries that really stemmed from taking a trip to the 2000s Olympics, which as some of you might remember, was in Sydney, Australia. And from there, John had a number of different positions within Japan, China, Asia Pacific, before heading back over to Europe. And we talk about John's journey in those roles and also some of the important lessons he uncovered, which was around the importance of having a fantastic finance team who are always looking around the corner for the business. And John takes that expression from his uh, his childhood years growing up on a farm We also discuss how to find that right burning platform to drive change within our businesses. Also, and because of the times you live in, opportunities for businesses amidst the COVID pandemic and crisis. And we discuss this idea of directionally correct, uh, having consistency over accuracy in, in some of the activities we do. So look, it was really great to catch up with John. And if you enjoyed the conversation, uh, please check out the timestamp show notes, key quotes, resources and ways to connect with John and more at sitnshow.com and you can also recommend the episode to your friends and colleagues and they can subscribe on all the major platforms iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify and as always we really appreciate you tuning into the show. So without further ado over to John and the show. John welcome to the show. Thanks very nice to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have a fellow Irishman on the on the show. I love it. Our, our tiny little island that we find ourselves in different parts of the world. So yeah, you're perfect. over in uh, Lausanne at the moment, yep. locked down like the rest of us. Yep. But uh, in terms of your journey to get to Lausanne, would you mind maybe taking our audience through your career journey in counting and finance? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and thanks for doing the show. It's it's fantastic. I've been li- listening to a few of the episodes and they're actually really interesting. D- lots of different topics, right? And you pick different things out of different elements of it. So yeah, well done. So my journey, I don't know how far back to go. I grew up as a farmer's son. I'm still a farmer's son. And as I tell people, I'm originally from Ireland and I'm still from Ireland. So it's the same with the farm. And actually the farming is really important because it instills certain qualities, which I still take this day. And whenever I talk to people about what drives me and what makes me up, it really goes back to that farming background, right? You know, hard work. You really have to look around the corner as well, which is really interesting in finance because what I find is a lot of the time, you know, we do have to report, right? And we have to look back and we have to complete the reports. But actually, I think 75% of finance should be looking forward. With farming, my father would buy the old Moors Almac, Alman, Almac or whatever it's called, right? So you get the weather a long way out and you start planning for the years ahead, right? It's not, you're not planning for just this year, right? And if you're a dairy farmer, you get all your income in three, four months of the year. You get a plan, you get a whole year to plan out. And so you really have to start looking forward rather than, you know, explaining what happened in the past right you know it's not much good for my parents to explain what happened in the past they gotta look forward yeah so i grew up as a farmer son and then i went to college and did all that stuff i went to college in ul and truly truly rtc for two years and then ul for two years i did business studies 
And I work for a company called Wyatt Medica. I worked originally for Wyatt Nutritionals, which was baby food factory in, in um, Askeaton. And then I moved to the pharmaceutical plant in Newbridge, which was fantastic. And after three years of that, one day I went into a travel agent and booked a one-way ticket to Australia in the year of 2000. Um, and the reason I did that was I wanted to go see the Olympics, actually. And I'd put a carrot in front of myself. If I said, if I pass my SEMA exams by January, then I can go. So give me... Basically, I had nine months to do it. Um, so I got my SEMA exams in nine months. So I did four, oh, wow. four, which is a bit unusual, but gave up the drink for a whole year, <laughs> my head down. I said, you know, if the, the carriage was big enough, to be fair. And, and, yeah. and actually, I really enjoyed it because I enjoyed that kind of accounting. So I packed my bags, went to Australia, had a great time at the Olympics. And two things happened, really, that changed my life in Australia. Number one, I was lying on the beach I needed it one day and I needed a visa and I needed uh, money. I was out of money, no visa. So I was looking in the newspaper and actually it was a friend of mine, Seamus, who saw this job and he he saw it in this company called Matronic and I had no clue, clue who they were. So he said, you should apply for this. So I did. It was a temporary job I applied. That was 2002. I'm still with them today. So it's it's been quite the journey. And then the other thing that happened was in 2000 around sorry that was 2000 so i'm with them 20 years so in 2002 then we decided as a, there was a group of us there we decided it was time to head back to ireland so what we did was we booked tickets to the soccer world cup in japan and we would come back that way in the meantime my the regional boss at the time he offered me a job in japan over the phone he said look since you're coming for the world cup why don't you just come and work for us here so i said sure why not what have i got to lose so i did that i Took a job in Japan as an Asia Pacific analyst. Did that for a couple of years. And then actually in my last week in Australia, I met my wife. She's English. Oh. We met on a bus in the West Coast of Australia. Um, so it was quite, <laughs> they were the two biggest events in my life. So, and I've been with Medtronic for 20 years. I, I worked for three years in Japan. Then I went to China for three years. And that was, that was actually, somebody was talking to me about this yesterday. That was really a forming experience because at the time, China from Medtronic was $100 million, and we, we set a plan to grow it to $800 million in five years, and we actually did. We That's did it. Amazing. It was amazing, and it was so much fun. And one of the things I learned in that time, actually, which is quite interesting, is you have to take risk. You're not going to do that if you don't take some risks, <laughs> right? It's planning everything out and doing a business case and all this stuff. It's really important. But at some stage, you're going to have to pull up your swimming trunks and jump in the pool, right, and go for it. And A, you got to take the risks. B, you're going to make some mistakes. And that's okay. You know, obviously, don't screw up all the time on purpose, but you're going to screw up. We, we made loads of mistakes along the way. But by God, did we learn, right? So that was three years of the best learning of my life. It was fantastic. So I'm just trying to get my head around the numbers there, John. I mean, that one is a phenomenal growth. But if, if you think about accounting, we're there to ensure there's control. It's sort of uh, things get measured. I mean, like how, how do you keep up or how do you support the business when there's that rapid growth of change? How can, how can finance best support the business? I was really lucky at the time. I had a fantastic finance team. Uh, actually, I think it was a really interesting dynamic there at the time. I had a lot of young people, so I had a lot of, 25 to 30 year olds in the team. So they were all fresh minded, not, not stuck with the past and, and they built good controls. So we had good controls, but really it was about more looking forward. And, and again, that, that forward looking thing and anticipating what the business is going to do. So we did some joint ventures, you know, 
joint ventures are really quirky type things. But what I learned is you get a strong leader, strong finance leader into the joint venture. You have some critical controls that you watch over. So the bank accounts, you know, the balance sheet, just make sure you know what the critical controls are and you go after them. But the rest don't get too, because there's so much detail that you can get yourself really bogged down very quickly and then you miss the bigger picture. But actually, yeah, we never had to at all, which is interesting. In, especially in a country like China, where the, you, you do end up with a lot of control issues. But, but we had, like I said, the good, I know it's obvious, right? But when you have good people, the, these things start to take care of themselves. And again, having that clarity of what's important and what's not, I think really, that really helps as well. You know, it sounds simple, but it's, it does take a bit of thinking about it, right? And, and if you do it right, it's it's okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to think because, um, because you did mention, and it was really refreshing. You mentioned like you're going to make mistakes when you, when you're going after such an ambitious target and, and go and execute on it. I suppose sort of any, any interesting stories about maybe one of those learnings from, from mistakes that, that you know, you sort of carried through with you into, into later roles. It's interesting, and we go back to the controls. Actually, one of the mistakes that we made was we had a leader who was very focused on the. So we we made this JV, which was one of the biggest things we did. We we did with a local company, which was fantastic. But he got very focused on what was in the joint venture agreement and kind of the letter of the law of it. Right? When what's really important is what's important for your partners. So having that discussion with the partners, you know, regularly that you you know at the beginning weekly with the senior people in that. The, in your partner that you sit down with them and you say look what's on your mind what what do you think is going well what's worrying you china is a very similar country to ireland where a relationship is actually really important you build everything from the relationship that you have with the other people so that was a big there's a word for that isn't there there's a word for that relate that process is there yeah there is actually it's called yeah. guangxi in china guangxi yeah guangxi, yeah and it's really important and you know when you sit down with a partner you don't discuss business first you get to know each other which is a bit i think of an irish trade as well definitely yeah you, <laughs> actually they go to the pub to do it as well so it's it's very similar but yeah that, that was a big learning that that, that relationship is so important and, and really thinking you know, sitting down with them thinking and difficult discussions are no problem, right? We had several times where we walked away from the table and said, look, this is not going to work out. There was no hard feelings. A couple of weeks later, the dust settles down. Okay, let's get back again and see if we can figure this one out, right? So the discussions don't go that easy, right? You have to know when to walk away is probably the other lesson that I learned. I remember my, my boss at the time saying, okay, John, we're out of here now. This is, we're just not going down this path. And I was like, but this is too important to walk away. And he's like, no, we're just going to walk away. It, we've crossed the line now. We're out. And I was like, wow. It's... But again, they, they came back, which was okay. If they hadn't come back, that was okay too. Because he was right. He knew the line. And he said, okay, now we're getting too close to that line. I'm out. And on we went. So, because so I, I was about to ask you, how do you know when to walk away? And is that just knowing what your lines are? I suppose yeah. it's that you sort of said early on, it's the clarity, it's the focus, attention. No, knowing what the goal is. Yeah. And that's where you do need a business case, right? So I said at the beginning, don't get too worried about it, but you do, you, you do, that's where the business case is really powerful because then you know that, okay, if I give away this now, okay, my business case is now completely underwater, right? So what, what's even the point anymore? So if you've done that homework at the beginning to prepare yourself, that's really important. But where I, where I see people get stuck sometimes is they get, they spend too much time on the business case and they want to get everyone to agree on it and everyone from here to, Pope has to prove it right that's the stuff i get allergic to it's it's more look are we directionally correct rather than are we precisely wrong yeah well you, you mentioned that word directionally correct that's a word i've already probably heard in the last 10 years and that's despite like yourself probably started my training about 20 years ago so like yeah it's something we don't tend to cover when we do our exams or our accounting training so what does uh what does directionally correct mean to you <laughs> john 
at the end of the day, we're employed for our brain and our gut, right? And how, how those two sync with each other. And I think that's what directionally correct is, is leveraging that, right? Because if you talk about, it was actually one of my bosses previously, he told me this, do you want to be directionally correct or precisely wrong? You know, you should, you know. <laughs> that's a good way of looking at it. And I think it comes down to that, that if you want to be, it's like when we do revenue forecasting, right? We do revenue forecasting, different companies do it, different cadence, right? Some people do it daily, some people do it weekly, some people do it monthly. And I always say that, again, it has to be directionally correct because why are we doing it in the first place? We're doing it so that we understand what, what other decisions we need to make to meet our commitments for the quarter, right? So that's why we're doing it. So we want to be directionally correct. If we want to be precisely accurate, if we want to get to 99.9%, the best way to do that is after the quarter close. You know 100% then. You're 100% right on that day. And a lot of people talk about getting accurate forecast accuracy. I struggle with that a lot, actually, because forecast accuracy is only okay if you meet your targets. But if, if I give a forecast to my boss and she says, John, that's not good enough. You know, I need you guys to do more. Then forecast accuracy goes straight out the window because... You know, I can come back at the end of the quarter and say, look, my forecast was 100% correct. She's like, yeah, but you didn't meet my expectations. So, you know, you have to keep the two in balance. That's fascinating. I think that probably gets lost in that focus or that quest for accuracy yeah. and meeting expectations and uh, and delivering on those uh, relationships and expectations. That goes out the window. But so I suppose, look, you did that time in China. So, so where did you go next then after China? So then I moved back to Japan, actually. I took the role as the head of Asia Pacific, which was quite an interesting journey. And, and the company changed different structures. So I did that for a couple of years and I actually moved to Singapore for one year in, in that as well. So I was in Japan for two more years in Singapore for one year. And then the company had changed different structures. So the Asia Pacific region as it, as it was had gone. So my job had kind of gone away and I was kind of in, the, in a different holding job. And then for one reason or another, this job came available, the one I'm actually in today, eight years ago in around April, May of 2012, they asked me would I move to Switzerland and that was a two-minute conversation. It was like, absolutely, yes. And a big part of that was coming closer to home, coming closer to the family. And being yeah, but I like how you picked a neutral country, though. Yeah. You know, like, you know, with your, your, your wife's allegiances, your allegiances. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, nice choice. That made it a bit easier. But yeah, no, it's, and it's a fantastic place to live. It's, it's really good. And what was interesting about that, actually, though, was there was two schools of thought as I discussed with people that I trust, you know, kind of mentors and kind of advisors. And I was asking them, what should I do? Should I stay in Asia and, and, or should I come back? And they're like, well, you know, there was two schools of thought. One was the job is a fantastic job. Just go for it. You, you'd be crazy not to. And the other was, you know, Asia is so much fun, right? You know, it's growing fast and, you know, it's dynamic and this, that and the other. But then I came back and I was, I've never regretted coming back. But the thing that struck me is because the growth in Europe is slower, the level of innovation in total is higher. But then when you come into a company, the level of innovation around processes. So that's why shared services in general starts in Europe, because you have to. That's a good thing that you have to do something because it forces you to, you know, if you're not forced to innovate, you don't need to innovate. In a country like China, where everything is growing fast, actually product innovation doesn't get rewarded that fast. It's more market access, right? So it's more about selling more to more people than it is. Here, you're, the competition is fierce, right? Because the market is not growing. So if you don't innovate more mature. your product... Yeah you're not going to win, right? And it's the same within the company. If you're growing at 1%, 2%, if you don't innovate in your back office, you're going to die, right? It yeah, I really like how you painted that one out. Actually, no, no, you're on a really good, you're good thread here because the time we're finding ourselves in the moment, John, you know, where let's, let's, let's face it, there's a lot of potential contraction for some companies at the moment. 
you know, we're going to have to innovate. Our processes become a bit more flexible, adaptable, and so on. You know, this could be a great opportunity for us. You know what we're going through at the moment, particularly particularly more mature industries that are going to. You know, how do we emerge from from lockdowns and COVID nineteen? No, I couldn't agree more. And like, there's two benefits is for finance. Number one, the business has never needed us more, right? Because it's like, you know, I, we joked the other day in the company, we were trying to forecast and we work in healthcare, right? So you can only imagine we were trying to forecast the next three months. And, and I was like, well, you know, whose crystal ball is shinier than the other, right? That's, that's exactly what we're <laughs> trying to do. But it, but it's really important. Again, it's back to that. Well, why are we doing it? We're doing it so that we understand the trade-offs that we need to make so that we can honor our commitments to shareholders and, and other stakeholders to employees, yeah. you know, because as a company, we've made a commitment not to lay off employees during this time. And that's a big commitment, right? So we need to be able to make sure that we can actually honor that commitment financially. But then to your point, this is actually a bit of a burning platform. I read the earnings release from a company yesterday and they said, if you'd have asked me two months ago, could we do a close? Could we do an earnings call? And could we refinance our debt without being in the office over two months? He was said, not a chance, no way. But he said, here we are today, I'm on my earnings call and we've done it. And it actually wasn't as difficult as we thought. And actually in, in, my, in Medtronic, we're going through the same at the moment, we're going through our quarter end or our year end close actually as it happens. And you know what? It's working fine. It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's just like, I was onto a sales leader during the week, actually funny enough over in the Asia Pacific region. And, uh, you know, normally he's used to walking the floor with the sales teams this time of, you know, the, the, the quarter and so on. And they're looking to close a number. And I said, so, how's it going? And he goes, actually, you know what? I was really worried about, you know, how we're going to manage this. But actually, we can do this, you know, and we're probably going to maybe slightly do better than our target, which is great, you know. But like, it's fantastic for you to ask this person, you know, even a couple of months ago for all happened. Could he do this or could the team do this? Not a chance. Yeah not a chance, not going to work. You need to be there. You need to be there in person. So, you know, what sort of things can we leverage this burning platform for John to, to perhaps do better in accounting and finance? I think in accounting and finance, I have a philosophy, the operational elements of finance are like a factory. You need to put them in a factory, right? And they should be done at scale so that you get high quality and consistency. What we need in the countries and in the markets is we need their insight from those markets. What's important, what's hot in tax, what's hot, you know, what are the statutory guys looking at these days? You know, what's the trend in sales and is that how we, whatever the sales guys are doing, have we reflected that in our revenue recognition processes? But rather than every country doing that by themselves, if we can feed that in, into a factory line, you just get that higher quality. And again, getting the bigger things right. You know, one of the things I talk to my team a lot about is one example is payroll accounting. We've left that in the countries and I'm like, this is crazy because the payroll is really important, right? We can't screw that up. But the payroll accounting, if we mess that up for a week or two, it doesn't matter. It'll still be left pocket, right pocket, right? Um, yeah. You know, what cost center goes into, I'm not that worried. As long as the first thing is, is the company accounting correct? If the answer to that is yes, then how it's done within the company, I'm less worried about. But it takes a big event then to say, well, you know what, we're going to do all of that accounting with two people centrally rather than 0.2 of 20 people in, across many, many countries. So I think it's the opportunity again to go even faster on those things because I see it now as we're making decisions as we're closing the quarter or closing the year. It's so much easier to make the big decisions when you have a couple of people. And it actually helps everybody in the markets as well because they're not trying to come up with different ways. Like we had to stress test all our balance sheet for the impact of this, right? So things that I would never have thought about, like fixed assets, we put equipment 
in a hospital that we deploy in a hospital, you have to look at that fixed asset and say, does it still have the same value that it had before? You know, the normal one, the goodwill and all that stuff, you normally stress test that, but you, we give our customers rebates and now you have to stress test that. What's going to happen? How, you know, are the customers going to expect the same level of rebate? Or are you going to give them lower? So you have to stress test all these things. To be able to do that from a core is so much more powerful than saying to everybody, here's what you need to do. Now go have a good time and do it. And that will be done inconsistently with the best will in the world, right? Because we've really, really good people all across the board, right? We're really smart people. But in a way, what happens is when you have really smart people, they all do it slightly differently because they all have their own lens coming at it. They're, they're smart enough to do it. So I think that strong core is so, so important. And it just gives us, I think this crisis now gives us the chance again to emphasize that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, th I think it does. And I, I actually see this happening in a lot of other uh, teams around the the world, John, like it, it feels like uh, I, some might be calling it a, a center of competence or a center of expertise, yeah. but really it's that line. I was, I was watching a documentary about Volkswagen Group and I think it's a, their Volkswagen plant. It's huge, it's massive. And, you know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, improving the process, the innovation around that coming out of Europe, I was just thinking this big VW factory, which is a city in itself. Yeah. And you got the, on one part, you might have robots doing a lot of the work because they've got the process down to that way. If they have a, a change up in, in design, they can, they can rejig the robots very quickly to go do the work. But then you've also got maybe sort of the more sort of people working on designs of new cars, testing and the scientists and all that and the R&D. So you've got that mix of, about robotics, you've got the people, but it's all about the coming together to design better products that meet expectations, which we were talking about earlier, but also improving processes yep. and getting better and better in mature markets, which, you know, uh, you know, some would say the combustion engine car is a mature market probably. So, you know, it's just like, I think there's, there's examples out there for some finance to follow. And with this um, event, we've had this burning platform we've now seen we can do some things virtually. Exactly. So we can we can set up these these factory lines across the world, essentially. And again, the reason to do it is so important. The reason is not cost-cutting and all this stuff, right? I, I, no, I actually no, hate that. No. It's, it's really about the quality and consistency of process. But the other half of that, which is even more important, is it allows the people in the markets to spend more time with the business on the strategically important stuff and not spend your time reconciling payroll, right? But spend your time understanding... I've got a business deal with this customer. What are the different elements of that deal and, and how do I make it better for both the customer and for us, right? That's where I want the finance people in the market spending their time. Just wondering, some of our audience listening are probably thinking, okay, you're talking a lot about consistency. So what happens to accuracy then? I think it comes back to the question, what is accuracy, right? I sign a statement every month or every quarter saying that the accounts that I have are factually correct. You know, that they're a true representation of whatever, I don't know the full statement, that, but I sign the bottom of that page. No, no, no. I, I, th I think you're right. I think, but I think, I think that's what a lot of people are sort of chasing this unattainable goal of accuracy all the time. When really consistent, just be consistent. Uh, the point you meant about directionally correct. I think if if they're sort of being met, then you can move forward from there. It's a good foundation to move forward from. And, and materi you know. materiality again. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Good point. And that's where the brain is so important that you know, I don't know if you've ever been to an orthopedic to um, physio or one of those guys, the ortho guys, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. When I, when I could convince myself to go, I, I, physios have been with have really sort of caused my body some pain. You, know? you, lie, you lie on a table, right? And you don't open your mouth and they put their finger <laughs> on this point in your body and they go, does that hurt? And you jump off the table and you go like, how the hell did you know? Where to go there you go <laughs> and they go that's my job i know where your pain is i know exactly how to find it and i think as finance professionals that's what we're paid to do is 
we're paid to know where to look and know you know know what to watch out for again in, in the situation we're at the moment one of the biggest things that we're watching out for as we close the books is what's the quality of my inventory because they can't sell it at the same cadence that I was able to sell it three months ago so the inventory that I have on hand today we got UBDs going out of that thing right so is that inventory of the same financial quality that it was three months ago I rather spend all my time looking at that than looking at reconciling some of the other accounts because that's materially more important than any other thing that I got on the balance sheet right now. So again, I think that's what you're looking for in accuracy, right? I think it's knowing where to, it's the accuracy is on where to look more so than making sure that all the numbers are reconciled fully. Yeah, exactly. 100% of the accounts are. Well, maybe it's maybe maybe the word is attention, isn't it? I suppose more than accuracy now, like you know, is is knowing where to focus and att- putting our attention on the right areas. Materiality, I think, is the word you use. But like, yeah, it's and and again, it's the same with the business. Is like I always talk to my team about being able to look around corners, right? That you're anticipating what's coming, right? So we know right now that you know, for most companies, sales are going to be down over the next, I don't know, again, take the crystal ball back out again and we'll shine it off and see what it says, right? But <laughs> we know the sales are going to be off, right? So what can we do then to manage the rest of the P&L and to manage the cash flow, which is even more important? Mm-hmm. So let's look around that corner and say, look, what are the levers that we should be pulling and talk to the business about doing that now, not waiting for, you know, the CFO of the company to issue a target that says you got to do this by then. Anticipate it and take control a little bit more and, and look forward. I think, again, that's where as finance professionals, we have, that's our job because the accounting itself, it's become a bit like the typewriter. We've put it into factories. It's, again, is a keyboard really important? Yes. Is it important that you have a typewriter? No. You know, accounting is still the foundation of everything, right? But now you can do it at scale. The processes themselves have been leaned out to the end of the earth. You don't need to spend as much time over there. So, And if you want to spend it over there, just be careful. Do it at scale, industrialize it, because then it makes sense. But don't half do it. Just, I, just, I still have that analogy in my head, like of a physio going around, like you know, we'll have uh, listeners or uh, audience going around with their fingers pointing and, and you know, prodding the different areas of the body of the business they're working on, seeing if there's pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a really great analogy because yep. that's where you figure, you know, where the pain is, where the, the, the leverage or the drivers are. Yep. You know, so that's it. That's a really cool analogy. I think, you know, you, you share with us, John. And also the one on the farming, I, I, I sort of felt like we were a bit like gardeners in a way in finance, you know, sort of removing some of the weeds, curating, making sure the environment's good for growth and whatever. But actually, now you mentioned farming is probably more appropriate because you've got the different seasons to manage. Yeah. You know, and how it can be really hectic, particularly during the summer, you know, with trying to get all the, the, the grass cut in or whatever, silage in. It's just, I just think there's, um, you know, I think that's a really good thing is maybe we encourage our audience to sort of go think about, you know, what sort of roles could they play as a physio or as a farmer or something uh, during, as we try to emerge from COVID-19. I think yeah. there'd be really good things to, to see if our audience could grasp on. Yeah, I like the gardener analogy too, because it's like, what are you going to do now that the rain is not coming this year, right? You know, are you going to let your flowers die? What are you gonna do, right? It's I, I like the analogy a lot, actually. Exactly, but also planting the right seeds. But the you know what you're thinking now. We don't have crystal balls, but like we have that sort of attention, the gut feeling. We should be, you know, okay, this might work, this might not. So no, I, I love that. But uh, but but John, uh, you know, like you've been giving us great advice. I was curious, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? What I found probably more important in my life is to have good uh, sounding boards, people that I can talk to and say that look, what would you do in this situation? Or people that are not afraid to say, John. <laughs> 
you might want to pull back here a little bit. You're going off track, right? You, you need those people in life and you really need to listen to them when they say to you, okay, now you're, keep going down here, my friend, you're, you're, you better watch out. And I've always had that and I really value it. Probably one of the earlier in my career when I was moving from Japan to China, actually it was a Japanese guy who said it to me at the time. He, he was my Japanese boss. He said, you're going into China now. He said, take your time to understand them, but be who you are. Don't try and become Chinese. And now that sounds very obvious, but he said, be proud of your culture and where you come from and keep that because people want to hear about that too. And don't be afraid to share that. But then at the same time, do the opposite as well. Listen to them, try and understand their culture because, and I see that more and more, even my team now, we had a big session on this a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. And it's really helped is think about why the person is thinking, the way, where are they coming from? Why are they thinking the way they're thinking rather than why aren't they thinking this way? And I had that disease, I must, I must admit, and it's been a big awakening for me is I was like, why the hell don't they do this? And then when I put myself in their chair and said, well, if I'm that person, why are they doing it? Why am I doing it? It's a really interesting way to look at, to look at things. Yeah, it's, uh, I, th I think it comes with our territory, though, John. It's, uh, it's like, what, why the heck do they do it? Like the amount of accountants of minus was like, are you serious? Is someone thinking do it? But then, but actually you actually reduce your stress and you get to the, the right uh, understanding faster by actually asking that question. Where are they coming from? I had one particular incident that I got an awakening on recently and, and it was that stress thing. I had been so stressed about, I'd been having confrontation with this person for so long. And then once I understood actually where they were coming from, I was like, actually, the problem is me, not them. Because it normally is, right? <laughs> normally I was trying to push a rock uphill and I was like, no, this is never going to happen. So no, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I think you just saved a lot of our, our listeners that stress going forward, but they have to follow the advice. You know, you have to ask that question. And you really have to slow down and say, look, I assume that this person is coming with the best will in the world, right? That they're, yes. they're not stupid. There is a logic to their reasoning. And rather than figure out what's wrong with their logic, figure out what's driving their logic. That's a very different lens to look at it through. I trust me, the stress just lifts. It does. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's an epiphany. It's like, poof. Uh, so, so great bit of advice shared, John. So thanks for that. Um, and I suppose our audience always enjoy when you sort of, you know, the, the guest mentors recommend uh, resources or books to, to read, go check out. Do you sort of have any favorite books you could recommend? It depends right on where you are and what you're doing, right? Maybe two that I would recommend. So the, the most basic finance book that I've ever read is the, What the CEO Wants You to Know by Ram Sharam. I don't know if you've ever read it, oh, but it, no, no. it talks about the basics of what it is to run a company and why cash flow is so important. Cash is king, right? As, as most companies will find out in the next six months, they don't already know it. <laughs> but what he compares running a business to is running a shoeshine shop in India and when you do that, you don't, you know, the shoeshine guy doesn't go out and buy 16 different colors of polish. He goes out and buys two colors of polish and two brushes. And if he gets enough money, he might buy four. But anyway, so that's the most basic of books. And it's really good. I must say it's it's a sharp book, but it, it really captures what running a business is all about. And then as you get in more into leadership, there's lots of different books. Um, one that I read recently is called Team of Teams. And it even talks about the philosophy of empowering is of even by saying to somebody that you're empowering them, you're still keeping the power because you're saying, I have the power to empower you. So, I, you know, there's, and there's a guy, Bill George, who, who, who ran Medtronic at one stage. He, he has some great books out there. You know, he talks about North, you know, through North um, and keeping that compass pointing in the right direction all the time. So that, again, it depends on where you're at, but team of teams is the one I read most recently, but for those who haven't read Bill George, I would absolutely recommend him. Awesome. So, so we'll put those uh, resources and links into the show notes, uh, John. So thanks for recommending them. 
And I suppose, you know, if our audience wish to continue the conversation or reach out, where's the best place to, to connect at? On LinkedIn. Good old LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that 20 years ago when we started out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I suppose, look, look again, just thank you for this great advice, John. Uh, but before we start wrapping up, would you have any maybe parting thoughts for our audience? I've really enjoyed the conversation, I must say. And and again, kudos to you for um, facilitating these discussions. Again, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's 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 really just different thoughts. And like I said, I've listened back to some of your other podcasts and I take, if, if I take 5% out of every one of them, that's that's a ton of stuff, right? So, you know, kudos to, to you for doing it. And, and I just encourage people to use that time to reflect, right? And just take that one or two points. You're not looking, don't write notes on a whole the whole thing right it's it's those one or two things that that trigger your mind and, and really spend the time especially as finance we have to look forward it's important to look back and to reconcile and understand what happened and why it happened but 75 percent of our time needs to be looking forward and anticipating the future you know we're the weather forecast man for the business or woman and and that's really important awesome what a great what a great way to, to end the show john thank you so much for investing your time with us today and coming on the show absolute pleasure so there you have it Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.